Interact helps Canadians access their funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact e-Transfer have made money mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Friday, August 2nd. The summer is zooming by. I've got the regulars with me, Shannon Proudfoot and McLean's and David Reevely of the Canadian Press. It's Bring Your Kid to Work Day here in the studio. We've got kids in, in the back, our studio audience, first time live audience here. First time in front of people. Yeah. Very exciting. I hope they're a friendly crowd. <laughs> I hope they're a friendly crowd. Um, it's an exciting day. Okay, well, we'll hop right into it. On Tuesday, not all that surprisingly, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, dominated by liberals, dropped the case of whether to investigate allegations that the Prime Minister's office tried to control or influence comments made by two former diplomats in the ongoing Canada-China dispute. So in a, uh, to recap here, in a Globe and Mail article released last week, former uh, envoy to China David Mulroney um, said he received a call from Global Affairs Canada that the PMO essentially would like him to um, temper his comments regarding China um, and, and to sort of check in with foreign affairs next time he wants to go public again. Um, and they cited the the election environment as, as the cause for concern, essentially. So so since then, and another a former ambassador, um, Guy Saint-Jacques, said he's also been uh, contacted by the uh, same individual at Global Affairs, Paul Topple, but didn't re- uh, perceive the comments by um, or that the PMO were, was trying to sway or control the message. He said it's another case of miscommunication, I think is, is what he quoted it as. So this prompted the Conservatives and the NDP to, to push for a summer emergency meeting at, at the Foreign Affairs Committee, which was classic sort of of heated liberal conservative, a, a little bit chippy. Um, what was the sort of the dominant message? Like this is this is blown out of proportion. This is political. Certainly from the liberals, it was yeah. this is blown out of proportion. From the opposition parties, who have the power to force this meeting, but not the power to make it do anything in particular. They wanted to tie the alleged attempt to muzzle the diplomats to the Mark Norman um, right. shipbuilding affair and to SNC-Lavalin and try to demonstrate that there's a, a pattern of the prime minister's office interfering when people are saying and doing things that they don't like. What the liberals wanted to say is, look, this is very straightforward and it, it's been taken way too far. And if, I mean, Mulroney, who's kind of the, the, the hawk between mm-hmm. him and Saint-Jacques, if you take his account of what went on at face value, not saying you should, but if you do, Foreign Affairs said, listen, there's stuff going on behind the scenes and before you talk in public, we want to make sure you know what those things are. He reads that to be shut up. Right. Uh, and it, if indeed the prime minister's office is sending public servants to tell a former ambassador not to talk in public, that that would be very bad. I think we need more evidence before yeah. we conclude that that's what and, actually happened. And it's worth noting, too, that Guy Saint-Jacques has been very specific in saying he did not read his own conversation as being shut up or pull your punches, just sort of a, hey, we'd yeah. like to br- we'd like to make sure you're on the same page or that you know what's going on. Yeah. Although what he said, and, and, I, and I have to say, I've interviewed him at length, he is an amazing source on China and an amazingly blunt and detailed source, so a very useful voice that yes. it would be a, sh- a shame mm-hmm. to lose, I say as a journalist. But he also, he also has this sort of amazingly kind of understated but punchy way of speaking. And one of the things he said is, but if there is a strategy on the part of this government other than sort of engaging allies, it's not clear to me what it is. And it'd be right. really nice to know that, which is 
sort of an understatingly devastating thing to say about this massive international brouhaha after six months that, you know, if if you take the government's defense line at face value, that this was just about consultation and just, hey, we'd like to let you know what we're doing behind the scenes so that, you know, you're kind of informed. The problem is there's not an apparent plan that that anyone, even people quite close to the situation with some expertise, can sort of discern. Yeah, but it, it does it does sort of raise the issue of like these are individuals that are always called on by journalists to to be um, sources on this issue. I mean, they're they know the the issue at hand. They know the different sides, um, and and it kind of may, maybe raises the question of what are their roles and responsibilities talking about these issues, and how far can they go? I mean, uh, Mulroney was quite critical of has been quite critical of the government, um, saying it should be more aggressive on. On China, um, there is a certain degree of okay. We probably should be a bit more aligned, especially when there's two people's lives on the line here. Um, but how? I just wondered how far you can go as a government and asking for alignment from former ambassadors. I, I mean, I, they're former ambassadors. They're not on the government payroll. They um, they're both appointed. Um, they were they were Harper era ambassadors. Although Saint Jacques served up until uh, I think John McCallum was appointed under the Liberals. They're career diplomats, so thoughtful guys who did this for a living. They're not. They weren't really political appointees. Uh, I I think it is reasonable to hope and suggest to them that it's best if they don't undermine what Canada is trying to do. Right. Although, if they think that what Canada is trying to do is ill-considered, if they think it's not going to work, if they think the government is screwing up, then they probably also have a higher duty yes. to say that. But they're not, they're not, they're not entirely freelancers. No. You know, they're out there talking, <laughs> and they will be perceived in China as speaking to some extent on behalf of Canada. So right. asking them to keep that in mind, which... I'm sure they do because they did this for a living for virtually their entire careers. Uh, But asking them to keep that in mind, I think, is not in itself out of bounds. It's if you're going beyond that and saying you should say what we want you to say say. when you're not on our payroll and you don't answer to us. And And we could be screwing up. And you want to say that out loud and we would like you not to? Well, there there you start to cross lines. And if you're citing the election as a... Yes. As a concern, and yeah, I which mean, the powers that be in the PMO and uh, global affairs flatly has, deny they did. Right, right. right. Mean, so exactly how that came to be, I don't know. Um, and, and that too is where there's sort of eerie parallels to SNC, yes. in that yeah. all of this turns on the subtleties of exactly what was said in a conversation, tone, how it was perceived. It, it seems that with Mulroney specifically. Um, what he, the the comments of his that sort of attracted some attention were was him saying you shouldn't travel to China, mm-hmm. where that sort of directly contradicts to some degree the government line. Like they they updated their travel advisory, I think, in January to say exercise a high degree of caution, but their overall message is ongoing engagement, not yeah. not isolation, not acting like this is a dangerous place to be. And Mulroney has sort of been quite. Um, if not overtly critical of that, that's certainly not been his opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Jock, I don't think, has gone really that far in that area. And so that would seem to be a point of tension that, in a way, sort of in relief, gives you a hint as to the government strategy. It suggests that that 
ongoing friendliness and travel and not kind of shutting things down is important to them, which you can only sort of divine because yeah. when Mulroney mm-hmm. said not to, they they yeah. kind of, uh, they appear to have gotten <laughs> upset. But I, like to your point about them having a higher duty, if Mulroney in his, in his expertise and past experience genuinely thinks it is not a great idea for people to be traveling to China right now, that's probably a thing that the public would like to know yeah. if it's yeah. a considered opinion backed up by evidence, you know? I think the underlying problem that the government is struggling with is that Canada has very little leverage here. Um, yeah. We have Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor in Chinese custody for nine to ten months now. China is an economy that's gigantic compared to Canada's. They have, you know, came to it. They have a military that I don't think Canada could compete with. Right. They have all kinds of pressure points on us that we don't really have on them. And so the government has to play a very long, subtle game. But there's not a lot they can do to no. force China to do anything. So to the extent no. that they can do anything, I think, I mean, it is certainly in the government's interest and the, the liberals' interest for everyone to speak with one voice. Right. Is that in the long-term interest of the country or Michael Carver and Michael Spaver? That's, I think, where the honest difference of opinion can come in. I would also point out that the problem of people not speaking with one voice goes well beyond Mulroney and Saint-Jacques. There's another example. Who you could argue have at least a specific role that allows them to speak outside yes. the party line, you might want to talk to Jean McCallum yeah. and to a different extent, Jean Chrétien, who are sort of within your party apparatus and muddling the waters a bit. Yeah. Like like the, yes. the, the, the let's keep ourselves on the same page publicly problem is a, a kind of a sprawling one with yeah. this story. It's yeah. not confined to those two ex-ambassadors. Yeah, everyone's got an opinion on this and we've heard a lot about how Jean Chrétien has been, well, some say muddying the waters on, on this and actually creating a worse problem. So it's not just... Uh, not it's a, it's two. such a, it's such a difficult situation. Like yeah. I've, I've found myself annoyed over time with these kind of very cavalier columns that come out that say the government's screwing up. They're not doing the right thing. Not because I, I wish to defend what the government has done, but because it is not clear to me, like to your mm-hmm. point, David, whether there's much you can do. Like mm-hmm. we don't hold a lot of cards here. It mm-hmm. just seems like it is a difficult situation that might not have a neat solution or even a lot of pressure points to lean on. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot from the conservatives, the effect of Trudeau is weak. In the early going, he should pick up the phone and get 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 G on the line and dot dot dot. <laughs> right, it's not clear and, to me what and comes then, after that. So let's walk that out. Yes, like, so, and yeah. then what would be next? What happened yeah. there? To sum it up, liberals hold the majority in the Foreign Affairs Committee. The proposal to launch an investigation is dropped. Moving on. Next up, the U.S. House of Representatives began its five-week summer hiatus on Monday with some unchecked items remaining on their to-do list. One big one: the USMCA deal. Um, or however you want to call Cosma, that. Cosma, Osmica, New NAFTA, <laughs> which, and who, I forget who christened it the USMACA, which like USMACA. every time my, my brain <laughs> scans those letters, that's how it pronounces how it out loud. Me too. USMACA. The, uh, the trade deal, uh, you guys are supposed to laugh at that, at that yeah. point. <laughs> can, you, can you help us yeah. out? That's, grown, that's grown up humor. Yeah. Oh, we're getting eye rolls. Yeah. This okay. is not good. Um, the trade deal wasn't ratified before the House rose, something Trump wanted to avoid. It also means no deal on RN likely before the federal election. Likely. U.S. Democrats have, have halted movement as they push for um, a variety of changes like provisions on labor and environmental policy. I did read that it might be more likely now that Trump would impose or, or, or invoke his, the six-month um, notice period to actually withdraw from the withdraw from the deal Existing NAFTA. Existing Which NAFTA. is currently in force and remains in force unless one of the parties pulls out or uh, it's replaced. So then he would do that, why? So that it would immediately cue them to 
put in USMCA. It's, it puts pressure on Congress, yeah, because yeah. okay. otherwise, in you know, the clock starts ticking, and at the end of I guess six months, there's no trade deal, or we go back to the old FTA or something like that. But ultimately, NAFTA f- right. ceases to exist, so it's either move forward or move back. Right. He has that power. It would to, be a bit to, of a nuclear option for it would him, be a I think. Option. Which, yeah. Which he <laughs> yeah. ha- he has proven himself to have an itchy little trigger finger. So, so you know, there you go. I don't yeah. know. He likes to show people who's boss. Yeah. So the, the argument still stands, I guess, that the existing, or at least this is what what Trudeau has said, that the existing um, NAFTA deal is is actually okay for us. It's it's actually fine that we keep this in place because it benefits us a, a little bit. I think there's more. broad agreement that the old NAFTA is better than the new NAFTA uh, for everyone. There's a C.D. Howe study that came out, and you can quibble with their their methods, but they found that the new NAFTA will shrink the economies of all three partners relative to the old NAFTA. Not by a ton, uh, but that it's basically, it's bad for trade. I think mathematically, it's virtually impossible that Canada could ratify before the election because of the schedule of when the right. U.S. House of Representatives comes back. There's like a buffer zone of a few uh, days, days before yeah. a writ is likely to be drawn up. So it's yeah, just realistically, it's not going to happen. So to some extent, Trudeau advancing the argument that the old NAFTA is good or was better is maybe going to become an election talking point yeah. because it's sort of like, well, yeah. look, as long as Trump doesn't push the nuclear button, we're okay with where mm-hmm. we are yeah. now. Like, that's fine. And P.S., our government also managed to negotiate the yes. new one, which was a thorny path to now. Yeah. Right. And, and it was the new version is in the government's argument. The new version, well, in the government's argument, the new version is fantastic. Right. Of course. But, but I think based on the, the, the best economic analysis, the new version has some improvements and some things that are a little bit worse. And right. on net, it's okay. Democrats are likely to, like, as we say, use this uh, sort of stall, and, and on our side as well, but Democrats are likely to use this stalled, uh, and they would say flawed trade deal uh, as fuel for the 2020 election campaign. And we saw more Democratic candidates duke it out in round two battle this week. Um, it sort of, turned out to be a, a, a debate um, between heavy-duty progressives like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren versus a more moderates um, like John Delaney and, and such. So on night two, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris went at it, which was, which was uh, they. I mean, people were really, go- I, Cory Booker was really going at um, Joe Biden as well. I think so much of these debates is, is how you handle the pressure, how you handle the reaction. And also the framing of the debate. Like, to yeah. me, CNN seemed extremely excited to have fisticuffs on stage. Like, I was getting right. really annoyed with the way they were setting up the questions. And, um, yeah, they just seemed very interested in fomenting drama for the sake of drama within the candidates on stage. So, right. yes, to some extent, yes. I'm sure at this point in the process, there's more inc- more more likelihood of sort of tension between them. But I also think the format and the moderators were oh, really yes. egging that on. Yeah. I thought Joe Biden. What my point was like in the last debate, his his body language was is was he felt he, he was back on awkward. his heels last yeah. time. He seemed much more Joe Biden this yeah. time. Yes, totally. That as invoked with the word malarkey, which I think <laughs> caused everyone on Twitter to have a drink because yes. that's the Joe Biden game. Yes. Um, so the roster of competitors will soon narrow. This was the last round of debates before candidates advance to the next phase. So the top contenders, some of them are like Biden, Booker, Harris. O'Rourke, who's sort of back up in the polls, Sanders and Warren. Um, and that's based on polling and And, and the criteria Mula. for the next debates gets considerably yeah. narrower. Yes. And that's not to say that if you don't make the next debate stage, you're booted. But realistically, I think once people start being eliminated from the big televised yes. platforms, we might start to see people dropping out dropping just because out. of facing the reality. There's nothing in it for them. They're now spending money and they're yeah, not getting right. earned media on uh, 
They're not getting to to talk to people on TV. And they have lives they can go back to. Because if you've been at this this long and you're polling under 1%, the chances of catching fire are pretty small at this stage. Now, we know as well that the first English and French leadership leadership debates in our own country are scheduled for the second week in October. Yes. Mm -hmm. With yeah. this new, with this new debate commission debate. run by David Johnson, former governor yeah. general, right. so produced by half the media outlets in the country. Yeah. So, in uh, the effect is a lot like the old broadcast consortium, I think, but with some print outlets right. added in, um, yeah. and English and French kind of working together as right. well. So it's very much like the old system, I think, but with. With Some modernization tweaks. They've gone through a lot of trouble to do this. Yeah. Mark those calendars. Kids, mark the calendars uh, <laughs> for the leaders' debates. Leaders' debates, yeah. Um, on Wednesday, the Trump administration said it was looking at the possibility of allowing the importation of prescription drugs to the um, uh, to the states from Canada. <laughs> this appears to be his approach to lowering drug costs in the, the states, something he's pledging to do, in, or was pledging to do in advance of the 2020 election. Um, essentially, this would allow uh, state governments, pharma companies, and uh, drug manufacturers to, um, to more easily get approval from the FDA uh, to import certain drugs that are that are already approved by the FDA. Yeah. It's I mean sorta there's sorta. a lot like they said some stuff his his I guess health and human services secretary said some stuff. It's not really clear what it would mean and there's no. this this wonderful line from Health Canada saying yeah we're aware of this and we're in contact with uh, <laughs> our our colleagues in the states and we look forward to hearing more about this plan yes. which is like government bureaucrat for we have no idea yeah. what they're talking right. about. Right. But the general idea is I think it would be easier for the general idea is it would be easier for individuals to buy drugs like yes. online from Canadian wholesalers right. and ship them across the border. It's almost like we don't really want to have to even provide a justifiable yes. response. Yeah. I heard Andre Picard, the Globe's uh, health reporter and health columnist on CBC, he described this as the, the healthcare equivalent of we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to yeah. pay for it in that this maybe resides more on the fiction to fantasy shelf than the reality. Yes. This could be just a gesture, something that sounds popular and populist that really, I mean, there are yes. 40 million practical reasons why this would not work, why Canada has no reason to want to allow this. Um, that sort of thing. So it, it could be sort of a, I don't want to say something as inflammatory as an empty promise, but sort of an, a, a balloon being mm-hmm. floated that maybe yeah. will not go too far. Uh, yeah. I, I, but it, it's because, I mean, it, this happens. <laughs> I'd just like to point out that I have a two-year-old on my lap drinking water out of a glass like a goat at a petting zoo. And so he's sorry. doing awesomely. Yeah, he is. It's hard. I don't even want to talk about politics. <laughs> I'm so um, sorry, guys. No, this, this is, is about him. This, this is, is about way them. more entertaining. But, it, I mean, it, it's interesting. This happens at a small, like, patient level scale now. But yeah. this, these sort of bulk scenarios is what – and then obviously the worry here is that, right, that that if this actually went through, which is unlikely, that the that the that it would further drug shortages here in Canada. And I think there was – Reuters had a story a few weeks ago where they managed to get their hands on some internal briefing documents where basically – um, Health Canada officials were sort of saying, no way. This was before the actual yes. idea was floated. That was pretty much but what also they, they referred to a study that showed, I think it was a 2010 study that showed yeah. if even 10% of U.S. drug needs were to be sourced from Canada, we would run out of certain drugs in 224 days. Yeah. Right. So that 10%. sort of shells you, tells you yeah. like the scale of how not workable this is. 10% of U.S. 
drug, well, 10% of the U.S. population is the population of Canada exactly. pretty well. So. Yes. And this, I mean, what, what what's ultimately going on here is that the U.S. system for regulating drugs and drug prices, I mean, I'm not going to quite make the value judgment that it's broken, but it is producing right. drug prices that are way higher yes. than they are here yes. and way higher than Americans want to pay. Yes. And so what this would effectively do is yeah. borrow the Canadian regulatory system right. for the benefit of Americans without the Americans making any changes. Yeah. And yeah. there are reasons why that's not going to be practical in right. the long term. Right. So that's a dream boat. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's kind of a case of they're, they're sort of coming up with a bit of a sideways, not great solution to an actual problem. Yes. I oh, mean, yeah. the obvious Huge solution problem. would be get a hold of the power of your pharmaceutical lobby and regulate your own drug prices yeah. instead of taking ours. Like that's mm -hmm. a pretty glib way to put yeah. it, but that's kind of what it boils down to. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. That's all. That's We're going to do a short one this week because of the kidlet. So have a great long weekend, everybody. Uh, Twitter handles, please. I am at David Reevely. I am at S Proudfoot. And I am at Turnbull Sarah. We'll see you next week. For Canadians, paying with Interact Debit is synonymous with access to your own money. In 2018, Canadians made over 6 billion Interact Debit transactions, the equivalent of 160 per person. Interact Debit is accepted at nearly 500,000 businesses across Canada and growing. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.